Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll put resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey guys, and welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide. I hope that you didn't miss me too much last week. Unfortunately, I was just a little bit too busy soaking up the sun in Indonesia and I didn't manage to get an episode out to you. So sorry about that, but also a little bit, not sorry about that, (laughs) my bad. But for those of you who don't know, I have been in Indonesia now for the last, um, at the point of recording this, I am still in Indonesia. So I've been here for about two and a half weeks and I have another four days or so before I'll be flying back to Adelaide and lucky for me I have noticed that the weather has gotten a little bit better back home so I'm very glad that I won't be coming back to rain and storms but then again who knows the weather back home is all over the place so I have been on this amazing holiday For those of you who don't know, I used to live on a small island in Indonesia called Gili Trawangan, which is part of Lombok and is about an hour and a half from Bali. And if you've listened to episodes of mine before, I feel like I drop it in every couple of episodes or so because I love it so much. So I left in 2020 and this has been my second time that I've been able to come back. Um, I came for a hot week in July to surprise everybody back on the island but this time I actually got to spend a bit more time here and you know really reconnect with everybody and go diving and just really sort of I guess really feel into it and it's been so amazing I also had four days in Bali with my mum before I came over to the island, which was awesome. So we had a couple of nights in Sonoa and a couple of nights in Bingen at a place called Mixed Place, which I highly, highly recommend. It's like up on the top of the, uh, on the clifftop, just down from Uluwatu and the place is absolutely epic. So definitely uh, if you're in the area there, definitely go and check it out. But island life has been treating me very, very good. I tell you, my mental health is in a great place at the moment. And I definitely attribute that to many things. Um, I would say that partly it's how much time I'm spending outdoors whilst I'm here, outside, and also how much vitamin D I am getting. I am just soaking up the sun. Literally, my face is like so brown right now. It's like almost too brown. It just is very, a lot of sun, a lot of tan, maybe a little bit of sunburn, which is naughty, naughty. So definitely those things and being in the ocean has definitely been really good for my mental health. And also probably even more importantly, the people that I am surrounded by here and the community that I have here are just literally like family. The connection that I have, especially with my girlfriends here, is just 
Second to none, there is just a bond here that is absolutely incredible and I'm super, super grateful for. And every time I come back, it still feels just as much like home as it did when I lived here. So that's awesome. So that is an excellent segue for me right now to actually introduce to you this week's guest. This week's guest, uh, her name is Cassie, and Cassie is one of my very best friends here on the island, and I'm super stoked to have her joining me today. So welcome, Cassie, to the Hello. show. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I am so so, so excited. So we're actually set up to record this in Cassie's kitchen. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit of a change of um, area, which is so cool that I was able to pack this up and bring it over to record with you. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. <laughs> so Cassie uh, has been housing me for my two week um, trip here, which has been lovely. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Always welcome. My house is your house and your house is my house. Mi casa su casa. That's right. <laughs> Would you like to have um, a little introduction for our listeners today? Sure. Hi. Hello, guys. Um, I'm Kazi. I still live on the small tropical island where Lisa used to live. And I teach instructors, like dive instructors. And yeah, it's great. Yes. So how long have you been on the islands for? I've been on the, on the island for almost a decade. So next year is going to be a decade. Now it's nine years. So it's been a while. It's amazing. I plan to come here just for three days. And that happened <laughs> to a lot of us, I think. Yes. And it's been great. I mm -hmm. love this little place. Yeah. It's my home now. Absolutely. So you weren't always on Gilly T though, were you? No, I started with Gilly Air and this is what I did uh, my training. I came to do my open water course and got into diving and loved it so much. I decided to stay and spend all my savings I had to travel through Southeast Asia on the Gillies on a dive <laughs> training. And then um, I got the job and just decided to stay and progress in my career as a diver and dive instructor. And now I'm instructor trainer. Yeah. So that's been a, quite an adventure. It's been amazing. So um, again, so if no one knows, the, the Gili Islands that we're referring to, there are three, um, the largest being Gili T, where we live. Then the next one over is Gili Meno, where the rumours are David Hasselhoff has a, some kind of property. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's does. true or not. Maybe someone I'm can... Not sure. <laughs> it's not like an urban legend, but he's been seen around the Gili's <laughs> apparently. Like someone told me that they saw David Hasselhoff. I mean, yeah. it's not quite hard to miss like no the half you know <laughs> so that's the middle one and then the one on the other side which is closest to Lombok is Gilly Air and we actually spent the day on Gilly Air the other day didn't yes, we yes it was, was amazing lovely we spent the day at a place called Maui's so if anyone is planning to go over there definitely go and spend some time there you said that you came here for three days which is essentially the same as like my story and so many other people's story here what did you fall in love with the most when you when you were here, got here? Um, I think what I liked the most is the community. It was just so peaceful. And when I arrived to the Gillies, it was a little bit different than what it is now because it still wasn't that popular. So we didn't have that much, uh, that many tourists. So mm -hmm. it was super chilled. You could like literally play guitar on a beach and you would see, you wouldn't see many people. And I think that's what, I really wanted at that time. Yeah. And it was just beautiful. 
yeah. tropical waters and everyone's tan and happy and beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, people live like this. Like, how how can you do it? How can you live life like this? And I, I think that's what made me stay, that it's actually quite possible to live live that life. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I know like when the question was floated to me, like, why don't you come over and live here? I remember at the time, so this was in 2014, so a while ago, I was like, oh, well, like, I can't just, like, pack up and move to a small island. I'm supposed to be at home, like, finding someone to marry me and, like, having a mortgage (laughs) and, like, doing all these things that, like, society says is, like, the norm, I suppose. And so it wasn't until, I guess, someone questioned that to me that I was like, oh, wait, like, I don't have to do it that way I can do it a different way and I think that living in a place like this attracts a lot of people who have that same sort of like mindset that you you can do things a different way if that's what you're after yeah for sure I was planning to go home and find a real job and mm. settle down and I had exactly the same plans I should probably get married and have kids and um, and then when I arrived to the Gillies, I was like, hold on a minute, like, I don't really have to, like, people don't have to follow that standard path that everyone tells you should. Yeah. And I just kind of resonated with what was happening here. And I love the ocean since I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I decided like, screw it. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere. I can actually stay here and, and make the best out of it. Yeah, exactly. So you were in air for how many years? I've been on living on air for around a year and a half. So like from mid-2013 till end of 2014. And then I moved to Giliti in beginning, like sort of January 2015. Yeah. yeah. And why did you move over to this island? So we moved over to this island because my partner at that time, he got offered a job on Giliti. So mm-hmm. then we made that decision to move around because even though the islands are really <laughs> close to each other, if you work on one island and you're separated, you might as well like mm. be in Australia. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't have the same times. It's quite hard to like commute uh, mm-hmm. from one island to the other so we decided to make that move and come here to Giliti. Yeah that's good. I'm glad you did because that's how you know usually at the start of these episodes I say like how did our you know how did we come to know each other so like I guess obviously it's a small island but like if if I posed that question to you how did we come to know each other what would your answer be? I'm not sure you're gonna like it but probably Probably you were like my um, husband's best friend, girlfriend Yes, at yeah. that time. But I mean, we've met each other before, like we yeah. worked in a dive center just right next to each other. But I think that was sort of the time when I would like pin it and like, okay, yeah. you sort of became my friend because of yeah. your boyfriend. That's okay. Like, I'm <laughs> all right with that. But like, um, so... Uh, Obviously, both of our partners at the time, they were tech divers. So, like, they would get together and be like, tech, 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 tech. And then Cassie and I would be like, cool, so do you want to have an espresso martini? (laughs) Or, like, should we go dance to Justin Bieber now? Yes, that would happen quite often. (laughs) Yes. yes, And so that was, yeah, that's what kind of brought us together. Mm -hmm. But now, like, I literally can't imagine my life without you. No, I can't either. 
love you. Such a sport. <laughs> love you too. I'm so happy to be here actually with you and chatting and doing all this. I'm so excited. I know. I loved all my podcast gear all the way over here just for you. So yeah. Cool. So obviously on this episode, we're going to be talking about your journey with mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to start this off a little bit because I don't feel like everyone will have the same background knowledge in that you're from Poland. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like there's um like we've talked about this already. So there's a you know a lot of sort of things that linger within your story that relate back to, I guess, the trauma that was caused not that long ago, realistically in Poland. So do you want to just give our listeners just like a quick sort of Snapchat, Snapchat, (laughs) (laughs) snapshot of I guess what that is, so that gives them a little bit of like I guess um, a, a picture. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I grew, I was born and raised in Poland. I grew up in different places because I was moving around with my parents. So I was living in Greece when I was really little and then mm-hmm. we moved to Belgium. But generally my family comes from Poland. Um, and this is something that, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about. Um, it's very interesting how those countries like Poland and obviously all the countries in Eastern Europe are affected by their history and how actually our mental health is affected by that trauma that was caused on to our uh, grandparents and grandparents and how it's carried from generation to generation, um, like post-war and post-communistic societies yeah. have that trauma and carry it around and I feel it's like very distinctive to that part of the world and that part of the history yeah um that not many people are aware of I think or even talk about really or realize yeah because like when we were talking about it I was like it was a very interesting um I guess comparison because like obviously we have I would have grandparents and great-grandparents who served in different wars and whatnot but I don't feel like it's still as still as like I guess passed down or generational in the same way that it is um for you and in Poland and in these countries so it was just an interesting comparison yeah for sure because when you think about your grandparents that maybe saved served in the military Mm -hmm. um when you think about my grandparents they were in a war they've seen things that you can't imagine and they experienced things that was awful and Mm -hmm. very very traumatic for them and for their family Mm -hmm. and then it was taken straight to the communism where you couldn't have a mental health consultant or a psychologist you wouldn't just have an access to that at all so then that would be passed to their children and those children are my parents yeah which is is very interesting which is very like it's very close generally yeah, it's very generationally. It's, you feel like it's it's been such a long time ago because let's face it it's been quite a long time ago but it's so close like you yeah. always are raised with that feeling of war and history and it's mm-hmm. very very important part of our identity back home yeah and also back home you would say that stereotypically people are not encouraged to show their emotions, right? No, absolutely not. Like, yeah. <laughs> Eastern Regardless. block is Eastern block. Like, we don't show emotions. We just get on with things. Yeah. Regardless <laughs> of if you're male or female. 
Yes, re yeah. like, regardless. I mean, obviously, with, with female, it's expected a little bit more to show emotions, but, like, you need to be tough because your mom was tough and your grandma was tough and your grand -gra grandma was tough because the they had men to be. went to war. So you would have to take care of the family, and that was kind of passed from generation to generation. Yeah. And so how did that affect you when you were growing up? I would say I was always, so I was raised, like my grandma has a massive influence of like how I was raised and brought up mm -hmm. um, because my parents were like sending us to grandma and they were just like kind of having their own thing. So I always grew up in a sense of like you have to be self-sufficient and you have to be like strong and you have to do certain things and talk about certain things and not talk about other things uh, because we just don't. Mm -hmm. And you as a woman always have to uh, take in charge and take care of yourself because if you won't do it, no one else would do it for you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that, that I imagine that has obviously carried on into adult life as well. Um, but I guess if you think back to sort of like the start of things, how did that, I guess, affect you growing up, having to have that mentality? Well, first of all, it definitely, it pushed me through a lot of things. Like, as I say, you just have to get on with things and just move on and don't really talk about your emotions. But then on the other hand, like my family, especially my mom side, is very kind of against men, I would say. Like it, yeah. it sounds really wrong though. But like they could never rely on men because men in their life were useless. Like my yeah. my grandfather, I never met him because he left my grandma when my mom was 16. Then my dad was not necessarily the best husband. And also my grand grandfather that I've never met was sent to concentration camp. And then when he came back from it, obviously he wasn't himself. So he yeah. couldn't, he, he was not able to do anything. Yeah. So therefore, like the woman on that side are very, very strong and they carry like a lot of history and a lot of baggage, which then was passed to me. So essentially my relationship with men are quite difficult because I also find them like sometimes <laughs> useless, <laughs> which is really bad because they are not. And I don't think like this, but this no, is how I... like everything was passed to me. It's like you have to take care of yourself because, you know, you can't trust the men because they will leave and they will not be there for you when you need them to. So yeah. that's carried to all my relationships. Yeah. And I mean, it's understandable because if that's what you've been taught, your whole life, whether it be intentional or not, yeah. that's the what you have learnt, that's what's been embedded in you and your unconscious brain has been thinking that for years. It's very difficult to unlearn something like that. You have to really put work into it. And I would say like, I mean, we've talked about this before, but like I have a very similar um, problem in that I expect men to let me down because that's oh, what for sure. they've that's what they've shown me and I mean that's because I've had you know relationships with men if I had the same if I was interested in women maybe I would have the same the same issue I'm not like bashing men here there's some very wonderful men out there but I have this embedded 
um, belief as well that I have to actively work on. So I completely understand. Yeah. But so obviously that was sort of um, embedded in you as quite a young person. How did that sort of affect you when you're in your sort of like teen years? So in the teen years, you're obviously when you're a teenager, you're looking for that connection with with other people, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to like experiment and all friends are getting boyfriends and and stuff like that. And you just kind of want to be a, a part of it. And then you're always trying to be like super sort of strong, but then also you don't really talk about your emotions because this is not how I was raised. And we didn't really talk so much about the emotions in in my family. And then you, I would carry sort of that baggage into my other relationship, not with the girlfriends, but with men. Like I would always treat them very... Like a thing, they would I would not treat them sometimes like a, they're real people. Like they're okay. just there to kind of be there. Mm-hmm. But you can't really rely on them. They can be fun. Mm-hmm. And then I would not I wouldn't I would always try not to build a strong relationship with them. And you would like do deep that. relationships. Yeah. You would have a relationship, but they were never deep. I would always have like the back door open and yeah. exit. And was that do you think to protect yourself? In a certain way, for sure, because as I say, my dad was n- not the best one and he would never show that men are actually reliable and that you can, that they can be faithful either. Yeah. So when you, when you grow up seeing things like that, you, it's just kind of like, okay, well, then my grandma was right. My mom was right. Like men are not to be trusted and um, you just use them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> really, which yeah. sounds horrible. Like, I know it's horrible. Like, I don't think like this. I don't yeah. want to think like this. But yeah. you have those like emotions and you have those thoughts and it's just constantly in the back of your head that you just can't trust them. Yeah. Which I don't think it's right. And do you think this, I guess, had an impact on how you felt about yourself and like your self-worth? Yes. So there was a combination of things Um, from the very young age. I was always told that how you look is very important, yet Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't eat too much because you're going to get fat or like you you just need to be pretty because otherwise you're not going to go anywhere. Wow. Or you're not going to get anywhere. So that was definitely something that was always... Mm -hmm said yeah always so that has a massive influence on like your confidence because then obviously when your body's changing you are like it's you don't always look perfect and then like what is perfect and what is beautiful really also changes so then you like losing that self-esteem and self-confidence so that was yeah it was something that was imposed as well yeah and it is Since like a such very a very young age. Yeah, such a tough time. And like, it makes me sad that that's what was like, I guess, said to you at, at that age when, I mean, teenagers in general are like such an awkward, that's such an awkward stage. Like, <laughs> like you said, like your body is changing. You're like starting to learn like what fashion trends are and stuff and probably not quite getting it right. But, you know, it's such yes, an awkward definitely. time. And to have people saying those kind of things, like that would take such a toll on you. Yeah, it does. And you, 
when you are a teenager, you sort of realize it. And but then if there is someone who's really close to you telling you these things, like you don't really like you, you feel that it's true. Mm. And uh, yeah, do you th- obviously that was potentially a family member that, yeah. that was saying that. Do you think that they were trying to do it from a, a good place? I think so. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know it's like horrible to say, but like that's sort of how the world works a little bit. That's what mm. we are taught from the beginning that like if you if you look pretty, you have beautiful Instagram profile, you mm. get more followers. Like that's mm. what's happening even now. Like it's, it yeah, didn't it's, change so much. Yeah. You could make a photo on your Instagram or like a skimpy bikini photo and you suddenly get 500 followers. <laughs> you put like a nice, hey. happy, <laughs> smiley face, fully clothed, you get like 20. So I put it a skimpy change. bikini photo up today and did not get 500 new followers. So <laughs> maybe it was just because it was a story maybe. to level up. Um, <laughs> no, so I'm sure like it was yeah. in a good faith. It was kind of like, I'm going to prepare you for life. I'm going to prepare you for what life is and I'm going to prepare you for reality. But maybe it wasn't um, delivered in the way the that best. would yeah. be good. Yeah. And then also like the constant nagging of like, oh, you're getting fat. Oh, you should not eat this. And like, yeah. it's just awful yeah definitely that would not be pleasant at all so obviously you know you've got these and um, things that have influenced you um from your childhood now into your teens where you're starting to have your sort of self-worth and maybe your confidence affected how did that affect your mental health so it affected me a lot like I developed a food disorder because I was bulimic I just wanted to sort of punish myself because I thought I didn't deserve anything I don't know it was just like I didn't really understand why I was doing it and where is it exactly coming from I just felt really bad and I wanted to punish myself and that's why I started to uh, cut myself as well which was also your story and it's sort of like sort of trying to get control over your life so if you're like punishing yourself you're in control of that punishment not other people so it gives you a sense of power I guess yeah yeah definitely for people who maybe don't know um, what bulimia is or bulimic do you want to just explain a little bit further what what that entailed for you so for me it was every time I was having food I would just throw up I would just make myself throw up I would never like forcefully feed myself then to throw up so I would just eat normal meals and then I would throw up not to get fat yeah and uh, yeah, so that's that's what it was for me. I know for uh, many people it can be different. different. Yeah, but would, like I would punish myself for eating food. Yeah, would you do it with every meal? Mm, loads of meals. Like if I Majority. had something that I would think, oh, this mm. has so many calories, and I would feel like bloated or something, or I would have a day when you just don't feel necessarily attractive. Whatever I would eat, I would try to throw up. Okay, because you don't want to get fat yeah yeah because you can't because it's bad yeah and I think like definitely I would say when I was maybe in my late teens and we're pretty much the same age I feel like that's when I kind of learned about what eating disorders were and at that time it almost seemed like and this is going to sound fucked up but like at that time it almost seemed desirable yeah to have an eating disorder because I was so envious of the bodies that 
you know, that some of these people had and that people were so um, slim and I was not naturally like that. So it's such an interesting, like, concept. And I think, you know, I probably, I think I've probably made myself throw up uh, maybe a handful of times before, but I just could not, like, like, gratefully, like, I'm (laughs) thankful that, like, I couldn't quite... Um, I guess that I wasn't doing it super regularly, but that must have started to take a toll on your body. Yeah, for sure. Did anyone notice what was happening? No, no. I don't think anyone did. Yeah. And I that, was pretty good at hiding it as well. Yeah, and that's, the, that's you know, with a lot of mental health or eating disorders as well, people do get very good at hiding it. And you said that you also um, were self-harming. At what sort of point did that come into play? Around the same the same time? Around the same time. It was kind of just a phase which is so blurry in my memory at the moment yeah. that I don't even, like, remember why I was doing it. And it was just, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a phase. And what were you doing it as a coping mechanism? Or what do you think? Or do you just not even, like, it was just something that happened? It, I would do it. I remember that I would do it when I would get like stressed or emotional or really angry. I would I would do it then. Yeah. I would just take that anger on myself. Yeah. And no one knew that was happening either. No, yeah. no one knew it at that time when that was happening. But then I was actually talking to my best friends at school and I told them that I'm doing it and I went for like a gallery exhibition where like the whole art um, construction and the exhibition was around self-harm. I don't remember who was the artist actually. I was trying to find it like years after because then I know that I I just realized that I'm not the only person that does it. Yeah. And that kind of switched something. I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's actually serious. I'm doing exactly the same thing. Why am I doing it? And I should stop doing this to myself. So that was kind of what influenced me to stop and then start to talk about it. Wow, that's profound. Which is really cool. So cool. Yeah. I wish that you knew who the artist was because, like, how cool would it be to be able to reach out to them and tell them that as well? Like, and that's why this kind of stuff is so important. The more that we have people talking about these things, like, it's so um, amazing to see how people can be helped and that, I'm so happy that you were able to go to that art exhibition yeah. and that you know um, that made a bit of a change for you so we're into your teen years still there was also some drinking involved yes yeah, so once this whole you know self-harm kind of ended and I obviously realized that it's not doing any good and it's not good for me at all I yeah. just decided that drinking and you know taking drugs is gonna be so much better yeah so then you start uh, <laughs> then you start drinking and then it's also the time when everyone starts to drink so all of your friends are drinking and this these are the first parties that you go to and yeah. cigarettes and alcohol and obviously drugs quite often um and that, I think, was kind of another mechanism of mine to protect myself or to release that anger or to release mm. anything that I had inside that I couldn't talk to, that I couldn't just talk yeah. about. 
Do you think that maybe you did it as a little bit to just kind of numb those things? I think so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is such, you know, unfortunately a really common thing that happens that people then, um, you know, if they're going through a bit of a, a rough time, they'll turn to something like drugs or alcohol because it gives them that escape. And people, you know, when they're in that, I guess, mindset might not know any other way to get their mind to, I guess, slow down or stop. And that gives them an, quote, unquote, an out for a a moment of time, like a reprieve almost. I think it's also way more accepted by society. Like, yeah, it's fine to get drunk if you feel sad and it's not fine to, like, cut yourself if you feel sad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Like you're trying to cope with your issues that are inside of you, inside your head, whatever. And you're self-harming yourself by abusing alcohol. But that's really accepted by everyone because everyone does it. Yeah. Or like so many people do it. So then no one is asking questions. That's so true. So, so true. And I would like definitely in Australian culture, like Australia has a very big drinking culture where it's widely accepted. Is it the same in Poland yeah. as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Like it's just, if you don't drink, it's you're weird. Like you're not Polish. Yeah. That's, that's vodka. What, vodka. Of course. Always vodka. <laughs> Always vodka. So I think that's sort of like accepted. And then when you go to the age when you're starting to be like 16, 17, 18, obviously 18 is the age where you can buy alcohol legally and everyone thinks you're adults. Um, mm. and you continuously doing it it's like no definitely not <laughs> and you continuously doing it but no one is asking questions because it's normal because everyone yeah. is doing it so you're just partying you know you're just a teenager and it's such an interesting way to look at it like I've never had a phrase like that to me before where you're saying okay drinking or taking drugs as a coping mechanism for your mental health is accepted but the self-harm is not accepted neither are healthy yeah (laughs) let's be real clear about that but it is a very interesting concept to be like okay well why do we think this is okay but this is like oh my god she's hurting herself you know it's they're both coping mechanisms for the same thing very interesting I like that yeah Can you think back to like when I guess the lowest point for your mental health was around this time? Yeah, I think the lowest, the the lowest points were always when I would just get so drunk that I would not have control over my body anymore. Yeah. And then obviously all sorts of different abuse come into play because you're a woman and mm-hmm. you are obviously not drinking on your own. You're always drinking on the on the parties and mm-hmm. you do start to do things that you're not necessarily would do normally. Yeah. And that's also part of like coping with like low self-esteem and... And trying to feel good and being, like, appreciated for who you are. And Mm. a lot of people will take advantage of it. Yeah. And because you are so willing to be seen, I guess. Mm -hmm. And because you have so many things that you're oppressed all these years. And it's just another thing that it just goes. And I think that's the lowest when I was just, like getting completely smashed yeah and doing things that I wouldn't do yeah 
And I think, um, you know, I can also relate to this in, in some ways in that I think for a large part of, I guess, my early 20s, I was really looking, I guess, for like validation from men. Constantly. And so I would accept behaviour from men that I certainly wouldn't accept now and that probably wasn't really well, wasn't really acceptable at the time. But because I was just really I really wanted the attention to sort of, I guess, reiterate to myself that I was worthy of someone spending time with me or I was worthy of the attention that someone had given me. And, you know, there was, you know, instances within workplaces where there was like nothing like super, super bad or anything, but like definitely inappropriate like relationship or not relationship, relationship. I feel like I'm muddling this up so bad and I'm trying to say what I want to say, but it's not coming out right. (laughs) But that was all sort of, I guess, anchored to my low self-worth and my low self-esteem, you know. Yeah, when you're so, when your self-esteem is so low, any uh, interest from another person, especially men, is like, oh my God, he's just paying attention to me. So like, it's great. Like, yeah. And it, might gonna be... do, and it might be so inappropriate. Like I yeah. was probably sexually harassed at work so many times. Yeah. Like more than I would like to admit mm-hmm. because my self-esteem was so low that I didn't have the courage to say no. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust myself that to say no. I didn't trust myself that this is not okay. And I definitely didn't want it to, you know, steer up the shit. Yeah. Especially in the workplace. Yeah. Because you do... And it's also, it was never to the point that it was, like... It was definitely offensive, but it was never something that you could pinpoint as a sexual harassment in its sort of standard way. Yeah. But you would allow your employers to talk to you in a way that is absolutely not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And he didn't put his hand up my skirt, but he definitely said things that were inappropriate kind of vibes. Exactly, and you yeah. just laugh and you're like, ha, 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 yeah, right. He, you know, I'm, I'm just going to laugh because it's it's cool and I don't want to look like, uh, you know, I'm a... That I can't take a joke. I can't take or, a joke. Yeah. So I'm because just going to agree in your face with that. Yeah, as well. Oh, it was just a joke. Yeah. You know, that kind of like... You know, it gets turned, it can get turned around on you if you say something. So then I would be, you know, I wouldn't want to say something either because I was worried about the repercussions of what was going to come my way as well. Yeah. And then you, if you're being saying something constantly, 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 you basically believe it or you take it for that's, that's normal. That's how everyone yeah, behaves behave. and that's how people behave towards each other and mm-hmm. And then you're like, yeah, it's it's normal. So then you're starting to again question yourself, why am I having a problem with that? Yeah. And you take it in as like, there must be something wrong with yeah, me. Yeah, there must be something it's wrong like, with yeah. me. Isn't that fucked? It's like, honestly, so bad. Oh my God. It's like, so honestly. bad. And it's, it's just that small thing that like low self-esteem that was, yeah, or like the lack of 
love, I don't know, like mm. how you would call it, a lack of someone telling you that you're good enough yeah. in your early stage of your development. Yeah, in childhood, yeah. In childhood or teenage years, and then it just kind of drags on and you yeah. allow people to say things that normally... You wouldn't accept. You wouldn't accept. Like, I wouldn't accept that now because I'm older and stronger and more aware. But to a degree, I still accept a lot. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I'm 100% healed just yet. Yeah. It's a process. Yeah. You know, you had gone through these things as a child and then into your teen years and the drinking and um, the drugs and those things, they had sort of gotten a little bit out of control how did you go about getting help? Like what what happened? Like you said that no one really had picked up on the bulimia and the um, self-harm. How did someone become aware or how did you, yeah, take those steps to start getting that help? So when I was in like that was a, my 20s, my mum's really, really good friend from the childhood, he sort of kind of show up in our life and he was just there. Reliable. And we spend a lot of <laughs> reliable. Wow. And we uh, we were spending like a lot of time together. We would go on like holidays together, and and he was actually um, reaching out to sort out his problems with his family and his trauma with with his parents. And he was going and he was seeing psychologists and and he was some having some other problems. But he was actually the first person who would go to a psychologist that I know. Wow. And. And he would be like proud, proud of it. And he would say it to everyone. And still like that time, which wasn't that long ago, a lot of people will say, oh my God, like why, why is he doing it? Cannot he fix his own problems himself? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, oh, it's dramatic. It's over dramatic. Yeah. Like why would, why would he do it? Like he has to go to psychologists with every problem now, which I think it's just crazy. Yeah, that is. Because that's in like. 16 years ago like I don't know yeah. 15 years ago so it's yeah. not that long no but so he was the person that would be like I feel like after our conversations and I know your background um a little bit I think that you should get some help and you can just try I'll I'll pay for it I'm I'm gonna do it for you Aww. and try and see if it's work if it's going to work or not so he took kind of like that father figure I guess that's so amazing which is really cool because yeah I I really I really I don't know what would happen if if he wasn't there was it is it expensive in Poland to see a a psychologist it it was expensive yeah. yeah and because not many people would talk about it then uh, then you wouldn't really know exactly how to search for it. And then also you oh. always felt like it's not, it's something like there's something wrong with me. Like I have to fix it. Mm. Like it's, I have to yeah. fix it myself. Yeah, but you like, can't, you don't have the tools. <laughs> <Not> exactly. <laughs> but like no one would tell you that. Like you would yeah. have the helpline for people that are like suicidal yeah. constantly or like having like, you know. An emergency. Emergency line, like when you're like being abused at home massively yeah. and all that. So that would be considered like, okay, so now you should go to a psychologist. Oh, yeah. So you like if have you have this now. huge trauma, then that's the time when you should go. But if you kind of have a little bit of an issue, you should sh- sort it out yourself. Oh. Like, otherwise you're a bit weak. Yeah, that's so just it crazy. Was just like, 
a little bit. Yeah. Crazy. So you went to see this psychologist mm-hmm. and how did that go? Were you nervous beforehand? I was super nervous because I was like, what am I going to talk about to that strange person <laughs> in front of me? Like they have no idea what, like, I'm, what I'm going through or yeah. like they don't know me. Do I have to like start from the beginning? Like when I was born, like I just don't know. But it was really good. It was, she was asking, I guess, the right questions. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly annoyed. I don't know, because when people ask you right questions, you're always annoyed <laughs> because you actually have to think and, and dig in. That's what I had when we were getting ready for this podcast. Oh. Nice. I was like, oh, you didn't tell me that. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, Sorry. she was asking the right <laughs> questions. And you kind of start to think and you're starting to see the patterns and you're starting to realize, okay, this is good, this is bad. But then again, if you are doing it just on your own and you're within the environment where everyone should get help, yeah, because everyone has some trauma mm-hmm. and has been through some weird stuff because mm-hmm. I don't have any friend that has not gone through some weird stuff Everyone's in their childhood. Everyone's a little childhood. bit broken. Exactly. So when you're doing it on your own and you're surrounded by people who are not gaining that, getting that help, you feel like a bit of an outsider because you understand and you want to change, but mm-hmm. it's so hard. Mm. Because that means you have to separate yourself from everything you know and everyone you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't want to drink because you suddenly feel like, okay, this is not good. I'm trying to fix myself. But then you don't have anyone to talk to because everyone (laughs) is drinking and everyone is going out. So you have to like literally find completely new circle of friends. Yeah. It can be quite isolating. And it's quite hard when you're like 20. Yeah. 21. Yeah. yeah. And you work in hospitality. Oh, God. It's <laughs> even, <laughs> even it's harder. Like, yeah. It is tricky, but, you know, I think being able to do those things and trusting in yourself and trusting in the process is obviously worthwhile. For sure. So yeah, how, how often did you start seeing the therapist? So I would see her once every two weeks, I think it was. Yeah. To start with. Um, and then we were working on a lot of different things. So she was like the one to go into find your family tree and go back into it and see what sort of issues are there from the grandparents mm-hmm. and back. So that was super interesting because that kind of allowed me to see my aunties and take old photo albums and talk to my grandparents of like how it was during the war and trying to find out about the family and stuff. And they hate talking about it. Like they don't want to talk about it, obviously, because it's a really, really traumatic experience for them. But I found that when I was asking the questions and I said that it's really important for me, they gave me that time and they kind of went out of their comfort zone to talk about it, to make, to help me understand, which was Super hardcore, I have to say, because yeah. I found out things that no one else in my family knew. Wow. That must yeah. have been really interesting. Super interesting. And did you find out things that you feel helped along the way? Yes, definitely. Because, like, understanding your history is, is, I think, really important to, like, understand your presence and obviously move forward into the future. So once you know what sort of patterns are going in the family, that gives you an understanding and, like, identity I guess Mm. you 
you now understand, okay, maybe I think this way because of that, or I behave this way because of that, or I'm trying to do something because of those past traumas. Because yeah. I guess it's been proven now or it's mm-hmm. in the making that like if if you have very traumatic experience in your family which is a suicide a mm-hmm. accident which then was like a death accident mm-hmm. or someone in your family died sort of before their time yeah that's sort of like a trauma that stays and goes from generation to generation okay. and obviously in a post-war society that trauma is there in every family yeah yeah that's just so interesting. Like I've not actually heard anyone so far of my guests who've done that um, process with their um, therapist or their psychologist. Um, so it's really interesting to hear. You also did something else that I found super interesting. So you went um, also into like an intense two-week retreat style counselling yes. thing. Yes. Thing is the worst word I could have used. Retreat, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and in that, you did something that also looked into family trauma. Yes. Which was called Constellations. I think it's Constellations. If yeah, if I would translate it to English, I think it's called Constellations. That's, yeah. That's one of the way of, of, of treating family trauma, which yeah. was super interesting. Yeah. And so I'm going to ask you to explain it because okay. it is, I was honestly like on the edge of my seat listening to you explain <laughs> it the other day. So I think people will find it really interesting. So how does it work? I will try to explain it like... <laughs> I will try to explain it well. I, I am not necessarily really good at it. So um, the constellation works that you have a group of people in the room and it's all led by a psychologist who is specialized in that type of therapy. Mm-hmm. And then you you place people in different spaces in the room and you give them your so like one person is going to be your mother your one person is going to be your father one person is going to be your uncle grandma grand grandma whoever you want them to be you give them that role mm-hmm. and it can be someone who's already dead or you mm-hmm. never said goodbye to whatever someone that you think that was important to you enough to place them there in that sort of constellation and then you move them around and then you walk around from person to person and you tell them different things that the psychologist or the train tells you to tell or leads you through mm-hmm. or just ask you what do you feel what would you like to say to that person mm-hmm. um, and then those people say back their feelings and how what energy they feel like where they want to turn around where they want to look do they want to have open position? Do they want to hide? They move around positioning themselves towards other people within that group, which is sort of your family. Um, and then you kind of get a read from it. Mm-hmm. And then you can go individually to each and every person and tell them everything you sort of carry. So you kind of push and put that baggage on them. So the things that you would never say face to face, for example, to your dad or to your mom, mm-hmm. you say it to your like, imaginary mother yeah, or the person, the person who's in that place. and therefore you get that relief yeah which is really really interesting because there was like so many different things happening there were like people doing that that realized that their their mother was never close to them because she was blaming them for the father that left yeah and you kind of get that clarity, I think, that helps you understand why you've been treated this way or other way. Yeah. And it also kind of release a little bit of that trauma. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's just being able to get those things off of your chest as yeah. well. And it's like, okay, I've said what I need to say, even though it wasn't to the, the real mum or dad yeah. or whoever it is, but I've now said it and a part of that has now Lifted. gone from, yeah. from me. It's out into the universe or out into the energy or whatever you want to think. And I just, I think this is it's, such, you did a good job of explaining thanks. it. <laughs> I hope so. But it's, it, it was so cool. Like when I did it myself, we did it actually in, um, I did it once when I was on that retreat and then I did it again. Um, and I was kind of putting my family in different places and stuff like that. And then I had to turn around and I turned around and so like, a building and I just went into hysterical cry wow. and I don't know why and how and I just went into it like I couldn't stop crying and then it turns out that the building I was looking at was like the building that was still there from the second world war which was like old Jewish district wow and then it kind of shows that there is a lot of emotions in there mm. and there is a lot of trauma and I, like, I couldn't stop. Like, I, I had no idea. I don't know why it wow. happened, but it just shows that a lot of things that are happening in my family and probably with me now mm-hmm. is because it's carried from those times yeah. of war, which I found super fascinating. So interesting. And I would love to do this. I'm going to find some Polish therapist that's going to do this with I think me. They do. <laughs> like, I, I think they do it all over the world. Not just so it's in not Poland. just in Poland. Like, it's <laughs> definitely not just in Poland. But it was super, super interesting. That's, like, one way of yeah. getting rid of the energy but then also yeah. understanding so that would that was super in, interesting way of therapy and I also didn't didn't hear a lot about it mm-hmm. before and also after like you say you never heard yeah. of it I've never heard of like this style like I've heard about you know you you can write down what you wish you could say to someone and then you know throw it away or burn it or whatever but actually with the placing of people around and then them being able to feel feel into that energy and respond. Yeah. And I guess then that being read into, like I've not ever heard of that before. So that's really cool. It's really cool. And it's crazy how the energy just flows and mm. those people are actually taking the, the, the characters and like, yeah, it's really so hard to explain. Mm. But there is something in it, I guess. I have to have a little Google afterwards. Yeah. So I'll try and find a link for this to put in the show notes so people <laughs> can have a little bit more of a look I'll into have a it. Because it's super, help. super interesting. So you went into, you know, therapy, you went into these retreats, and then did your mental health start to get better? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it started to get better because I started to understand what is happening. And then being in that group therapy actually helped a lot because it was like, I think 10 or maybe 12 of us. Mm-hmm. And we were there for like two weeks. Um, and being able to share everything with other people and seeing what they are going through. And to be honest, like some of the people had like, I know you shouldn't say it like way worse experiences, but yeah. there was like a lot of like abuse and rape and a lot of things that I was like, wow, my problems are not that big. Yeah. But you should obviously never say that because everyone's stop, individual stop, problems. Stop, stop, stop. Yeah, so there was like a lot of uh, people with a lot of different problems and, and traumatic experiences. Yeah. So then I felt like I'm I'm not alone. There are people that are willing to work through mm-hmm. their things and there are people that really want to take care of themselves. And, and I saw actually there that if they were way older than me, 
most of the people actually. Yeah. And they went through that through their whole life. And I was super happy that I started to work on that when I was so young. Yeah. Because their marriages were falling apart because they uh. were not able to talk about like their mental health. They never understood the mental health because again, that was completely different time back then. Yeah. So I was like super happy. I understand it now. I will work. Mm-hmm. I will try to read. I will read a lot of books. And that's actually when they started to be very interested in psychology and understanding of like human behavior and what and why and how. So yeah. that helped a lot. I decided to leave my country and then actually mm-hmm. my journey started with like traveling around the world. That's probably why I'm here as well. Yeah. So you moved to Cyprus and then from Cyprus you ended up here in so Indonesia. I first moved to Austria and then moved to Cyprus and then ended up in here. Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we've talked through quite a bit and you've been through a lot. How do you take care of your mental health now? Diving definitely helps. I feel like diving is my remedy for any troubles and issues and sorrows and being in the water surrounded by nature, that helps a lot. It's sort of like, it is like meditation, but better for me. Mm -hmm. I can just completely switch off. It's silent. There is nothing to distract me. I mean, there is a lot of distraction because it's all those amazing (laughs) creatures there, but it's like a different way of distraction. And all uh, yeah, and all and teaching. I think teaching is teaching. Diving is amazing because you have to be switched on for like hundred fifty percent in that particular time, mm-hmm. and that means that your brain is just there in the moment, present. So yeah. that what helps me as well. Because if I go too much into my brain, it's never really good. <laughs> but meditation. It's, good it's, a, it's a mindful thing, right? Yeah, you have to be present. Yeah, and meditation. Uh, routine I whenever I'm in my routine I always feel so much better and in control mm-hmm. um, whenever I'm out of it I feel like everything is just falling apart so those little things but being close to nature like good chat with friends mm-hmm. and thankfully I have a really really good friends here on the island an amazing community so so they are very that's very helpful yeah um, yeah so that's That's how I take care of myself. Lots of exercise as well. (laughs) Yes, exercise is a good one. And I think, you know, people ask me as well, like, how do you, do you think like, like, why is diving good for your mental health? And I'm like, it's just like, I don't know, that feeling that you get when you descend and your ears, because, you know, that's obviously where you're hearing things. Once your ears go under the water and you can't really hear what's happening at the surface anymore, you're just like, it's like you're in a different world. Yeah, completely. And it's just, I don't know, it it's just has something really amazing in it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're entering, like you're coming back to yourself a mm. little bit. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. There's like I've never ever it. felt so much joy anywhere else than seeing, for example, whale shark on a dive. Oh, yeah. Like this moment of like excitement, endorphins, like mm. this surprise and just, I don't know, like it's so hard to describe that you're like shaking underwater and yeah. it's just pure happiness. And that interaction with like the the sea life. Yeah. You know, watching the fish or watching the turtle or you know, watching the sharks swim past, whatever it is, it's like, it's like you're part of, it's a reminder that you're part of something bigger 
bigger than you. Yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah, yeah. You put it really, really nicely. Like you're a part of something bigger. Yeah. You realize that you're really tiny. Yeah, especially in the ocean, which is massive. Yes. <laughs> and that there is so many cool things that you should take care of. Like it takes. It, I don't know. It's just something magical for me. Diving. Yeah, yeah I agree. Definitely. So I guess, like, who would you say was the most influential people during the journey that you've been on? Well, definitely that person that first directed me to psychologist. I could not be more yeah. thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, definitely my my mom and my family, my sister, they're, like, really supportive. Like, they're far away and we obviously don't have, like, always the best mm-hmm. contact and we don't keep in touch, like, every day. Mm-hmm. But I know that they will support me no matter what happened and they prove it to me very like over the last couple of years because there was a lot of things going on in my life yeah and you oh definitely yeah (laughs) you're my influential person you always motivate me to do more and do amazing things and you talk about it and it's so easy so definitely thank you you're my brave number one hype girl over here Mm -hmm. (laughs) My queen. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have gone into karaoke. <laughs> Please turn it off right now. No. <laughs> um, so what do you think we can do more of as a society? Like how can we, I guess, better support our family or friends or, you know, what should we be doing? Mm. From my personal experience, I think is it's just, people should be generally nicer to each other. Like, I think they should be nicer to each other. They should be paying attention. There should not be people that are trying to take advantage of someone who is maybe less powerful, less strong, less confident. Uh, Because I think that's what happened to me a lot. Mm. And I think it's still happening as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think people should be a little bit more tuned into other people mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like personalities but just be nicer to each other I think yeah just don't take advantage of each other yeah I think that's important and it's so easy to be nice <laughs> it's so easy to be nice it's literally so easy to be nice there is so many times when there is no need to sem- say something nasty to other person mm. mm-hmm. and just keep it to yourself or like say it somewhere in the yeah my mum used to always earth. say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I think that's really good. Yeah. So everyone can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely talking about mental health, that's so important. I, I'm so sort of jealous and pissed off, actually, a lot of times and angry that when I was having all those issues when I was younger, when I was a teenager or even in my early 20s, that there was uh, not many people that would kind of push me that direction and tell me that it's fine to feel anxious it's it's fine to not have that self-esteem or having con like being like anxious and mm-hmm. and just direct me somewhere to get that help yeah yeah because I- for some it's small things yeah but for you it's really big thing like if you are dealing with it yourself mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that someone had like i don't know half of his family died. It's you because it's you feeling anxious, you feeling scared. It's you feeling not confident with yourself and your abilities. And and that thing can actually then 
affect your life massively. Definitely. And because you are like, you're the main character in your own life. Yeah. Like, you know, of course we care about what's happening with the people around us. But like, so you can't say that, you know, my issue isn't as important as someone else's because it's not as, again, in quote unquote big or dramatic or whatever it is. Like whatever's happening in one person's life is super important to them and it's big for them and we should be understanding of that as well. Yeah, and I think we should be talking about it as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, we, because like, as you say, like, I always thought that my issues are not big enough to talk about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the same so thing. So, why would I imposter bother? Imposter syndrome. Yeah, right. imposter syndrome, massive. Like, my issues are not big enough. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, who am I to talk to anyone? Like, people mm-hmm. have bigger problems. Mm. Why would I share? Who wants to listen? Like no one would like to listen. Like uh, even she now I'm thinking. To the podcast. Even now I'm <laughs> saying like who wants to listen to my story? Like my story is really not as important. Like I didn't Cassie. suffer. Cassie. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's the that's that's as you say. Mm. Like that's I guess the imposter syndrome. So literally everybody who's listening to this podcast after you've listened to it and you've just listened to what she said, I want you to send me a message <laughs> and tell me that her problems are important enough and I'm going to forward them on to no. Cassie. Yes, for support. So obviously, you know, all of these things with mental health, they are, they are an ongoing thing. Like it's not like you just wake up one day and everything's fixed. So where would you say that you're at now? Like what are you working on? Or how do you feel about those sort of things that we spoke about like with self-worth? So I think definitely that my mental health suffered a lot after COVID, mm-hmm. 100%, because I completely lost the sense of belonging because everything sort of shut down and I couldn't work. And work is really important for me. Like my work is my passion yeah. and my hobby and what I do and what I love. It's everything. It's everything. <laughs> I'm a workaholic. Baby. No, I love my work. And then I wasn't able to work in the capacity that I would normally and kind of having that sense that everything is taking away from you um give me a lot of anxiety at the moment uh but I'm trying to deal with it so I think like I'm still on the journey to fix a lot of things and work on it I definitely I'm definitely working much more on my like self-confidence and the imposter syndrome so I'm super aware of all those things but because of the different circumstances and the things that happened recently it's, I find it's a little bit more tricky now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's why it's also really nice to actually talk about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's quite important for me. So important. And because it's not like there's a psychologist on this island. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, that's actually, that's one thing as yeah. well. Like you don't, you can't make an appointment. Like you can go online, but that's obviously quite expensive. Yeah. And you don't have anyone who will support your mental health here financially. So you can't go like to someone and just, okay, I'm going to talk to you Mm. because I have a problem. So it's a little bit harder and therefore you need to, again, deal with it yourself to Mm -hmm. a degree. Mm -hmm. So I think in a a community um, like this, this is why your friends are so important because they become your makeshift psychologist yes they become your sounding board they hold up that mirror so that you can see the ridiculous things that you're saying about (laughs) yourself when you tell me that your problems aren't big enough you know that's what um friend your friends serve as that in this kind of community for sure 
you know, for anyone who isn't familiar with the Gili Islands, and Gili Tea is what, like 7K by 3K. Very small. It's, there's no cars. There's no, like, <laughs> you can't go to the physio or, like, the, no. the osteo or the dentist. Like, if you want those kind of things, you've got to get back onto the mainland. So, you know, that's, I guess, part of it. And I, you did say as well that, you know, sometimes you battle with the feeling of, like, look where I live, I should just be happy here all the time. Yeah, for sure. Because everyone is like, oh my God, you live on a tropical island in, in Indonesia. What you do is diving for a living. Why are you complaining? Like how, how, like, yeah. how can you not appreciate what you have? Yeah. And I do appreciate it. Like I do appreciate it so much. Like I know how lucky I am to be here like I mean I worked really hard to get where I am it's not like it's been given I made choices and I made sacrifices but just because you live in a place that you think is paradise or other people see as paradise it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with like you still have those issues you still have (laughs) you're still a human Yeah, you, it you, it just carries, it, it doesn't mm. fix the problem. Like just because you live on the beach, it doesn't mean that you are yeah. not going to have your... Oh, you're immune. Yeah, You have exactly. to be, you're just, you know, you have to be happy now. It's like a, um, a vaccination. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I, like, and I can remember feeling similar to that as well. Like, you know, people say, oh, you're so lucky to live there. And it is like, okay, well, yes, I am lucky to live here, but also, you know, a, I worked to live here. Yes. And B, like, it, it's no different to living anywhere else. Like, you still have to worry about finances and you still get sick and you still – it's all the same problems just in a much warmer place. <laughs> and ver- and smaller environment, which also have its issues. Its issues with it as well, <laughs> definitely. So, yeah, I don't know. Yes, I, I do miss living here, though. I'll definitely say that. So looking back now with hindsight at everything we've spoken through and Mm -hmm. all the things that you've been through, how do you feel about the journey that you've had? I am super, super happy, I guess, with the journey (laughs) I had because it made me a person that I am today and it made me a way more sensitive person, I would say, Uh, which in one way very much so helped me in, in what I do. Because I work with people. So yeah. the journey that I went through helped me to read people's emotions way better, which means I connect with people way better. And that's very, very important for, for what I do, that connection. So in a sense, like everything you do and your life shapes you to where you are. And I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I went mm. through that journey. I'm grateful that I found those people that actually gave me the courage to go and seek for help and gave me the courage to go and move in a different place and then supported me through that time when you're moving around and you're not sure and any other time really. So I'm I'm super grateful actually mostly for the people that I met on my journey and on my way. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I like, I mean, obviously I hate that you went through some of the things that you went through, but I am kind of grateful that you went through what you went through because it's given me the person that you are now and you're like one of the most important people in my life and I know that I can come to you for anything and I love the person that you are. And so, like you said, everything you go through shapes you 
And so I think it's made you stronger and more resilient and you are one of the most kind oh, people I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gunning for it. No. <laughs> but I think that it just shows a lot as to your character and you should be so proud of everything you've done and everything you've been through and the person that you are now. Mm. I think it also like connects us in a way because mm. we went through very, very similar experiences yeah. in the past and yeah. all along the way, obviously. And, you know, maybe who knows if I wouldn't go through that, we wouldn't have that connection. So yeah. I would not be sitting here with you right now. And so I'm it's so, like, glad. It's so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's not cool because obviously <laughs> you go through this and that's a lot of baggage and and suffering and and there is a lot of things that still needs to be sorted out but I think as like if you are in a position when you sit and you are here Mm -hmm. on this planet now uh, that means that you've done something really good and you should be grateful Mm -hmm. for everything and you should I guess be proud of yourself for whoever whoever who listens right because you didn't give up you're still trying you're still going Mm -hmm. for it Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're so inspirational. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, So I think we're just about to wrap up the episode. Any last words? I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) So if anyone wants to find you online, how can they do that? Probably best through Instagram, uh, Laura underscore K-A-Z-I underscore diving. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be the easiest, the best way, the best way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I can put that in the show notes. Um, and is there a website as well? Yes. Um, I'm working on the new website at the moment, but you can still find me through divemastergillies.com, which mm-hmm. is the website for someone who wants to become a dive professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can contact me through that as well and get a little bit more information there. Amazing. So yeah, anyone who is looking to do it, any kind of dive courses or fun diving or would like to do their dive master training or their instructor training course, highly, highly recommend reaching out to Cassie through her Instagram and through that website and coming over to do it in the beautiful Gilly Tea at Truangan Dive Center. Definitely recommend. I've been diving there with them for the last couple of weeks and I love it. And you would be learning from the absolute best from this girl sitting across the road, uh, across the road, across on the couch from me, Cassie, and also from Rose and the team there at TDC. So um, anyone who's interested in that, definitely hit them up. Or, you know, if you want to just follow along on the island adventures, you can do that as well. <laughs> all right. So many adventures. All the, all the ocean all adventures. The adventures. <laughs> all right, guys. So I am going to wrap it up. Cassie, thank you so much thank for, you. for letting me stay with you for the last two weeks. <laughs> for joining me this evening on the podcast so you guys will be listening to this on the Wednesday it is currently Tuesday so you're gonna be hearing this next week because I'm slack and I've been on vacation so oh, you're yeah. on vacation you can do it <laughs> all right guys I will see you next time Doey. If you enjoyed today's episode please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me 
at Lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.